Okay, so tonight we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 17 as we continue verse by verse through the Old Testament, the historical books, and particularly 2 Chronicles right now. So as we come forward tonight, we're going to be shifting from King Asa to his son Jehoshaphat. And we talk about of these 19 kings in Judah, there were some that were above and beyond in the excellent range of the 19. There was many good ones, and there's a few great ones. And Jehoshaphat for sure makes a list of the top three great kings along with Hezekiah and Josiah. So we have actually four chapters of Jehoshaphat. Tonight we'll be looking at three of them and uh, because a couple of chapters are very long, so there's no way we can do all four like we did last week with uh, Abijah and Asa. But as we come to Jehoshaphat, I was thinking about this. From the time that Solomon stepped into eternity and the kingdom became divided, Rehoboam is 17 years as a king. Then Abijah is two. And then Asa was 41. Basically, it's 62 years from the time that Solomon died and the kingdom became divided to the time that Jehoshaphat becomes king. So to put that in perspective for us, if we had a new king and everything's been so different ever since the divided kingdom, that'd be the time of JFK, the time I was born in 61. So we're not that far removed. When we get to Jehoshaphat, we're still not that far removed from the time of King Solomon. It's not, you know, there's still plenty of people that remember King Solomon that would be alive. And pretty soon there's no one that's going to remember King Solomon, right? So as Jehoshaphat comes around, because he, he can be compared to strengths of King Solomon, and even more importantly, to his other greater ancestor, King David, because God makes that comparison. So Jehoshaphat is an amazing king, and tonight we get a good look at his life. And he reigned 25 years, so he, he was a king for, he became king when he was 35, and he reigned for 25 years. So again, like many of us who are maybe just under 60 or just over 60 or way younger than that, he's, he's right there. That was his timeline, and he made good use of it. So we pick it up in chapter 17, verse 1. We read this after Asa stepped into eternity. Then Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. Because, of course, they had ongoing civil strife with the ten northern tribes. And he placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and set military garrisons in the land of Judah in the cities of Ephraim, which would have been in the north bordering the, the northern tribes, which Asa, his father, had taken. And that would have been previously in the battles uh, with Jeroboam and whatnot. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, false gods, but he sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. So there's a contrast with the northern kingdom and those kings. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat and he had riches and honor in abundance. And his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and wooden images from Judah. Also, the third year of his reign, he sent his leaders, Ben-Hael, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathaniel, and Micaiah, to teach in the cities of Judah. And with them, he sent Levites, Shemaiah, Nathaniah, Zebediah, Asiel, Shermamayoth, Jehonathan, Adonijah, Tobijah and Tobad Anijah, the Levites. And with them, Elishamah and Jehoram, the priest. 
So they taught in Judah, and they had the book of the law of the Lord with them, that is the Old Testament books of Moses, and they went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. And the fear of the Lord fell on the kingdoms of the land that were around Judah, so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. Also, some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and silver as tribute. And the Arabians brought him flocks of 7,700 rams and 7,700 male goats. So Jehoshaphat became increasingly powerful, and he built fortresses and stored cities in Judah. He had much property in the cities of Judah, and the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem, which, of course, was the capital. Verse 14, these are their numbers according to their father's houses. Of Judah, the captains of thousands, add another captain with him, 300,000 mighty men of valor. Next to him was Jehananan, the captain, and with 280,000 were with him. And next to him was Amasiah, the son of Zichri, who willingly offered himself to the Lord, and with him, 200,000 mighty men of valor. Of Benjamin, Eliadot, a mighty man of valor, and with him, 200,000 men armed with bow and shield. And next to him was Jehozabad, and with him, 180,000 prepared for war. These served the king besides those the king put in the fortified cities throughout all Judah. Well, here in chapter 17, you almost feel like you're reading like Solomon when he became king and was established. It's amazing. Like, what a strong beginning we have here for Jehoshaphat. And by the way, there's even a strong end. There's really not a bad, there's a, you know, a difficult story coming up around the corner in the next chapter. But as a whole, he is very impressive with what he did. In fact, when you think about it, as we've been going through the historical books, particularly with Kings, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, a you don't see too many chapters like this, do we? Do you? You don't see too many chapters like this. This is really good, start to finish. I mean, you get a lot of these guys, they didn't walk in the ways of the Lord, they didn't do this, they didn't do that. I'm like, this is a really good chapter. So let it get your attention, and let it just kind of sink in for a minute. Because when you go through these kings, we get a lot of bad ones. So when you get a good one, it's like you're on a road trip, and you're like, oh, this is good scenery right here, right? The scenery's nice. This is how... This is how a king for the Lord should be. This is a really rare king. 25 years. His dad did a good job, had a bad ending, right? Asa was a very good king, had a bad ending. So it's like a little hiccup, a speed bump in the end of his life. That kind of hiccup, spilt the coffee, if you will, in the car. But then right away, Jehoshaphat comes in, and it's 25 years of prosperity and good things. Now, if you go back to Rehoboam, a couple kings in front of him, we know that Rehoboam, he strengthened fortified cities. Remember when the kingdom was divided and he accepted the fact that he was only going to have the two tribes in the south? He strengthened fortified cities. He did this and he did that. But what he did is he gave the leaders wine and women and said, hey, have a good time and just rally around me. So sure enough, when the king of Pharaoh came in, they had no strength. They had no spiritual strength. They had no spiritual power. They were impotent for spiritual battles because they weren't spiritual men. They were carnal men and they were bribed with carnality and they fell in their carnality and great was the fall of Rehoboam. And so it's hard not to see the contrast here because here Jehoshaphat has fortified cities. He's got garrisons, he has strengthened things and he's going from strength to strength and it's all good. And he's not strengthening them with wine and women with things that would stumble them. He's strengthening them with the word of God with things that will build them. Isn't that beautiful, body of Christ? This is a great king, because we've seen what kings look like when they bribe people with wine and women. 
We've seen plenty of that in our lifetime. It's rare when you see a king who advances the kingdom with righteousness with the word of the Lord. And we just have to say, well, I'm glad I came out tonight because this is good stuff right here. We want, we want good news. We really do. We want good news. And this is good news. A great king. It says here that he strengthened himself against his enemies. He identified right away where he was vulnerable. He did all these practical things. But beyond all the good wisdom and understanding and knowledge that he displayed really is the spiritual strength because it says that uh, the Lord was with him because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He is compared to David. And again, we know whenever anyone's compared to David, David is most identified, his hook point, his trademark, his jingle, if you will, of who he was, was the man after God's own heart. Because for all we think about with David, when we say David, we know right away one sentence, one phrase that summarizes him is the man after God's own heart. So Jehoshaphat gets compared to David. Skip Solomon because the first couple of verses we say, hey, you could compare him to Solomon and even Rehoboam in his beginning. No, forget that. We're going all the way back to David. That's the ultimate compliment. When the Holy Spirit compares you to David, the man after God's own heart. So this is his key to his success and his, his strong beginning and his entire life, the strength of his life. He walked in the ways of his father, David. He's identified with David, and he's identified by what he pursued and by what he didn't pursue, idolatry and compromise. But it says that he sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments. So he obeyed the Ten Commandments, if you will. Uh, he had a moral code. He was a man of character and integrity, or we'd say, ladies, a woman of character and integrity. He had a moral code, and the code was the Ten Commandments, which is always a good code. To keep the Lord first, to seek the Lord first, and to avoid things that would supplant the place of the Lord being supreme in our life, or as Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will come to pass. And then, you know, all the things are identified by, really, by what you don't do. But a person that refreshes himself in the Lord and is, is not an adulterer, not a thief, not a murderer, not a liar, not covetous or content with the Lord, that, they're right on. This is how he lived his life. When the king walked in the city of Jerusalem, when he went about visiting the surrounding cities, everyone that was under his rank could say, there is a godly man, there is a good man. Listen, us older people know this. You can't buy that. A good reputation is the greatest of all things that you can have. And it's earned by being a woman of character and integrity or a man of character and integrity. It's earned by observation within your family how you carry yourself. We have no choice because we can't choose our family. It's earned by observation how you carried yourself at work, in the house of the Lord, and in your community. A good, a good reputation is to be highly esteemed and diligently sought. And he had it. So he had a heart for the Lord like David, and he obeyed the commandments of the Lord. He had a moral compass, because we talked about how it said that Rehoboam, two weeks ago we studied in detail on Saturday night in application, that he didn't set his heart to seek the Lord. Remember that? That was an application from that three weeks ago before I went to Florida. He did not set his heart to seek the Lord, but did evil. Well, here it says the exact opposite. What you sow is what you get. What you put in is what you get back. It the, what you think about what you are is what you attract to your life. 
And if you think about the Lord and walking with the Lord and walking by faith, and you think about the commandments as the moral compass and center of your life, that's what you put out. That's what you get back. That's what you draw. Birds of a feather flock together, and you draw good men to yourself. You're not a worthless man or worthless woman who runs with worthless people. And that's the kind of man he was. And not just the kind of man, but he's a king. Isn't this beautiful? He's a political leader. It's a spiritual leader. But it's a political leader, so rare in the human experience, where people do not abuse the power of wealth and power. And we see in this chapter, he had plenty of both. I mean, you know it's a good kingdom when the Philistines bring you tribute, <laughs> right? I mean, we've, we've, we've spent months and months and a couple of years watching Israel and the Philistines just go at it back and forth. And the Philistines not just like... They're like, they're not even a threat. It just, it's kind of sheepish. It's, oh, the Philistines brought in presents of silver and tribute. That's, that's when you know it's going your way. Your former crosstown rivals are nothing because God's blessing you. In fact, so prosperous is your reign and so established are you by the Lord because you're seeking the Lord that when you're strengthening your garrisons, you're strengthening them with godly leaders who go out with godly servants and who go out with godly representatives. The leaders, the Levites, and the priests. You know, you don't see this anywhere else like this in the Old Testament. In fact, it could best be compared to Jesus sending out the 12 or the 70 to do the Great Commission when he sent out his apostles. Because when Jesus sent them out to do, what he sent them out to do? To proclaim the kingdom and teach the truth of God's word. What is the New Testament? The book of Acts is the apostolic doctrine. The apostles going out to proclaim the truth of the word of the Old Testament. What are these guys doing? Solid leaders, 16 people total, and it's a combination of political, strong political leaders, like good mayors, combined with people who serve in ministry, the Levites, it's their vocation and calling, combined with priests who do the animal sacrifices that are qualified to go in the temple and do the service in the temple. And they're not waiting for you to come to the temple. They're bringing the God of the temple to you. They're coming to your, they're doing, they're, they're doing the Billy Sunday, Greg Laurie, D.L. Moody, Charles Finney crusade in your village soon. Coming to your village soon. The big 16. Here they come. To bring you the word of the Lord. From all the people who can rightly handle it and divide it and teach it. <laughs> Pretty amazing, huh? What a great king. What a great leader. Super inspiring for all the women here tonight and all the men tonight. Because following Christ, we're called to lead others to come follow Christ with us. Whereas we see in the gospel, John, come and see. And that's, man, he's inviting. He's so proactive. He's not a king waiting for things to be brought to him and just, no, he's out there with the people. He's sending people out there to not advance so much economic strength, but spiritual strength. And isn't it interesting, Solomon established peace with military strength, but one has to put forth a good position that this peace was established through spiritual strength. Sixteen men going throughout the territory, teaching the word of God, did more to provide a military defense for the nation of Judah than anything else we see in the Old Testament. Which reminds us that, as we've already seen just a couple weeks ago, the Lord is able to deliver with few or many. We saw that last week. You have to consider these 16 men and the blessing they brought upon the entire nation as they served the Lord in this capacity. 
It's very inspiring because it reminds me and it reminds all of us as followers and disciples of Christ, if that is who you are, that as we just do the right thing, as we seek the Lord like David, as we let the commandments, the word of God guide and govern us, that we can be used in a mighty way and we can influence in a mighty way and we shouldn't underestimate what 16 men can do when they're serious or 16 women when they're serious about just serving the Lord in sincerity and in truth. There's so much good that can come from it. What a wonderful chapter. I think the key word in all of this is it says that the Lord established his kingdom. Because he did all these things, it says, therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand. And the, the way we're going to be established in our, in our personal character, the way that we're going to be established in our marriages, in our families, the way we're going to be established in the local church, the way we're going to be established at work, the way we're going to be established in retirement, the way that we're going to be established as citizens is to seek the Lord like David did with a heart for the Lord and truly let his word, just let God's word guide and govern our life truly. And when we fall short or we fail, not try to rewrite the word, but just submit to the word and agree that it's right, repent and be restored properly. Because we're told in 2 Timothy that the word of God is there not only to guide us and instruct us, but to reprove us and correct us. It's the best correction there is directly from the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. What an amazing chapter. We want to be established. And this is how we're established. And when we look at people that we admire, women and men that we respect in our own personal circle or orbit of life, or people that we would look at over a 35-year period, like me and Greg Laurie. When I got saved, the Harvest book that Pastor Chucky just put out, Greg Laurie was one of the key people in that book. And the first time I met Greg Laurie, I was really nervous because I was like, and you didn't, Greg Glory, it was before the first Harvest Crusade. But Greg Glory was someone really important in my eyes. Like, wow, that's Greg Glory. I was like, wow, that's Greg Glory. At a pastor's conference at Calvary Costa Mesa. And we just had the crusade at the pond. Now, he's been doing the Harvest Crusades for over 30 years. I have a bumper sticker still unused from the first crusade at Pacific Amphitheater. And it's like, that's someone who's established. You follow me? Wisdom is justified by her children, and you younger people, listen to me. Look to and esteem people who are established. They're firm. They're a rock. Their life is a testimony, whether it's your parents or your boss or whatever, and you see the integrity and the character, and they're established because they're walking with the Lord, and they're governed by the word of the Lord. Let them be your inspiration. As much as I'm not nervous around Greg Laurie, he's a very approachable person, as, and as much as uh, I respected Greg Laurie from the Harvest book, 30 six years ago how much more now because we already know this the end of a matter is better than the beginning i've seen some very charismatic speakers at pastors conferences who are no longer in ministry and great glory has just always been great glory and i think it's just the way it's going to be from here to the kingdom come for him and for all of us that's how we want to be established by the lord now we pick it up in chapter 19 jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance and by marriage, he allied himself with Ahab. Oh, okay, this is the uh-oh moment. This, this is his speed bump. After years, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. He tried to make peace with his neighbors in the north. He's a, bring, he's a kumbaya kind of guy. He, he wants to believe the best in everybody and bring them together. It just doesn't work with someone like Ahab, though. So that's a, pre, that's a, that's a prerequisite in understanding this chapter. And Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him and the people who were with him and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth-Gilead. 
Now that was in northern Israel. That's a village that belonged to Israel, but Syria had conquered it. They're supposed to restore it. They never did. So Ahab's like, I'm pretty upset. That's still my land. That's my acreage, and I'm going to die on that hill. And he did. So be sure you know which hill you want to die on, because he's going to die on this hill. Isn't often the thing that we're discontent about that we don't have is the thing that will bring us down rather than contentment with the things we do have? A little side note. Ahab had so much, but yeah. for takers, it's never enough. There's more to take, and he wants Ramoth Gilead. So Ahab, king, verse 3 of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead? And he answered him, I, as with you, are my people, or as your people, we will, we will be with you in the war. Also Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, now, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel, that is Ahab, gathered all the prophets together, 400 men, and he said to them, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? So they said, go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not still a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of him? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there's still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies. He never says good things about me. He never prophesies the good concerning me, but always evil. He's Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. Then the king of Israel called one of his officers and he said, bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, clothed in the robe, sat each on his throne, and they sat at the threshing floor, the entrance of the gate of Samaria. That's the capital of the northern kingdom. And all the prophets prophesied before them. Now Zedekiah, the son of uh, Chenana, had made horns of iron for himself, and he said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. And then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, hey, now listen, uh, the words of the prophets with one accord are, are they're, they're encouraging, they're encouragement to the king. They're, the king is encouraged. Therefore, please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. And Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that I will speak. And then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And he said, oh, go and prosper, and they shall be delivered into your hand. So the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So these guys have a history of going at it, right? Verse 16. Then Micaiah just, he throws it down. Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each one return to his house in peace. In case you don't know, the master would be Ahab. So that's not, a, that's not what he wants to hear. These have no master. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, See, I told you. I, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Then Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. Oh, oh stop. We got two kings on thrones right here. And we got Micaiah saying, I saw the Lord on his throne. Big God, little problem. Little God, big problem. When you've seen the throne of the Lord, the throne of men is little thing, even their threats. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's nice to see the throne of God before you see the throne of men. It's nice to be in the presence of the Lord and fear the Lord and see eternity before you go into something in the realm of time that would cause you to tremble as well. The fear of the Lord usurps the fear of all men in all circumstances. So, 
I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, verse 18, and all the hosts of heaven standing at the, on his right hand and left. That's Revelation chapter 4, WG. You follow me? Oh, <laughs> that's Revelation chapter 4. Man, he, it's just, there's, it's a mismatch. Ahab is no, this, this, this evil king is no match for this godly prophet. So I saw them all there, and, and the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab, the king of Israel, to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner, another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. Then the Lord said to him, In what way? And so he said, I will go out and be so. Therefore, look, the Lord is. And the Lord said, you, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Chinnah, went near and he struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which, which way did the spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into the inner chamber to hide. This should, all be a, this should be a movie. This is, this is just awesome scenes here. These, the imagery. I don't know how you think, but when I read stuff like this, I'm just going like, whoa. <laughs> this is intense, right? And Micaiah said, indeed, you shall see it on the day when you go into the inner chamber to hide. Then the king of Israel, verse 25, said, Take Micaiah and return him to Amnon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction, or literally a little of both, until I return in peace. But Micaiah said, If you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Take heed, all you people. So you can just picture this scene. He says, If you ever return in peace, the Lord didn't speak by me. And they're pulling him away, and everyone's like going, whoa, did you just see that? Like, it's like us going, like, we'd be like, did you just see that? That was crazy. What's going on? Let's pretend we're in Jehoshaphat's entourage. We're the good guys, right? We're like WG, Chalma, Jehoshaphat. Like, what? That was crazy. And like, man, that prophet's gnarly. It's a crazy prophet. And the other guy's got his bull, you know, bullhorn just going like this. You're like, what? what? He's like making an MTV video or something. So he's doing his thing. And then uh, here's the imagery that's best. Micaiah's walking away, and then they're going, whoa. Off he goes to prison, like, like Ahab won the encounter somehow. And he turns around and says, take heed, all you people. Oh, oh. <laughs> I don't know about you. I don't think like a, like a northern kingdom soldier. But if I did, I'd be like, that can't be good. That cannot be good when the prophet, who is unafraid and unintimidated, can't be bullied, just turns around and says to the entire military that he said is going to be like sheep scattered without a master, take heed. I'm not feeling really confident about this battle arrangement that we're headed into right now. But that's the way it went down. I wish there was an epilogue on Micaiah, don't you? Because this is almost identical to the text in the last chapter of 1 Kings. I just wish when the movie was over and you're like, kind of like remember the Titans where it says, oh, they did this and they did that. Or Glory Road, the basketball team from UTEP that, you know, with the five black players won the first, that NCAA title against Kentucky. And like, oh, he's a school teacher. He did this and he's doing that. I love those kind of endings, like an epilogue, especially for, you know, based on a true story. I would like to know the Micaiah epilogue. Like, like, maybe if they even show Micaiah eating his bread going like, in the jailer going like, you know, like, I just like something because this is the last scene we get. But I feel like, oh, Lord, I wish there was just a little bit more. But sometimes we just get what we get. And we'll know the rest when we get to eternity. I got a feeling this guy's in glory for sure. For sure he's in glory. But I'd like to know, like, did they release him? Did he go home to his wife? Did he have a wife? Did the kids come? Like, who knows? 
One thing we know for sure is he was fearless and he spoke the truth unashamedly, and it was confirmed even that day. Now we read on verse 28. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes so the king of Israel disguised himself, and they went into battle. You know, for a guy that's really smart, Jehoshaphat's not really impressing us right here. Uh, verse 30, now the king of Syria commanded the captains of the chariots who were with him, saying, fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. And you cut off the head. There you go. You got it. So it was when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat, they said, it's the king of Israel. And therefore they surrounded him to attack. But Jehoshaphat cried out and the Lord helped him and God diverted them from him. So a miraculous deliverance. For so it was when the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. Like, boom. So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. The battle increased that day, and the king of Israel propped himself up in the chariot, facing the Syrians until evening. And about the time of sunset, he died. Now, 1 Kings tells us that after he died, in fulfillment of a prophecy that was spoken, when he stole Naboth's vineyard, now many of you remember the story from 1 Kings there, where Outside the king's palace for Ahab, there was a, the neighbor, Naboth, had land he inherited from his parents. It was a, a beautiful vineyard, think like Napa Valley or something. Uh, just gorgeous vineyard, gorgeous land. And he wanted it. But it, the way it works in Israel is everyone got their inheritance from the Lord. And that's Naboth's vineyard. It doesn't, you can't just say, I want it. You just can't, you just can't do that in God's kingdom. It doesn't work that way. And if he doesn't want to sell it, he doesn't want to sell it. So, Jezebel, the wicked Phoenician wife of Ahab, who worshiped all the idols, said, hey, who, just get lying men, scoundrels, surround yourself with scoundrels, like we were talking earlier, to lie about them, falsely accuse them, and we'll kill them. And that's what they did. And so they took Naboth's vineyard, he took Naboth's vineyard, and he thought he got away with it, so he acquired the, the property, the wealth, but we're told that after that, God sent the prophet and said, you're not going to enjoy it, and you're going to die, and the dog's going to lick your blood. Off, off the chariot. And so when Ahab died here in the story, we harmonize this with kings that they brought his, his back, the chariot back, and the blood was washed out, and there were the harlots, the prostitutes bathed. That's what happened. Ah, man, that's, it's again, what you put out is what you get. You, you, it's, it just works that way. It just works that way. And it's God's universe. It's going to always work that way. Who has ever fought against the Lord and prospered? Nobody, ever. It always works that way. So what's fascinating to me here and the, the real application lesson of this story is the distinction of light and darkness. And, you know, we all feel pressure to merge light and darkness. We all want to find a middle ground. I mean, my son-in-law, Nate Gallagher's radio ministry is called Middle Ground Radio because we're looking for a middle ground. We want to build commonality and find a place to get along with people, with family at holiday time how to get along with people who just have different views and different worldviews, and just, you know, we're always looking for middle ground. I mean, that's a mark of professionalism, actually, to, in your business, or you, you want to figure out how to get along with people. Now, see, ideally, we realize Jesus is the way, truth, and life, and no one's going to heaven without faith in him. It's that simple, and we believe that. But there's people that believe other religions that believe the exact same thing about their religion, right? 
But we're not killing people for not believing what we preach. But they will kill others for that. So, you know, like, and we want to avoid conflict, and especially when we've watched a society go from the commandments of the Lord guiding and governing them to lawlessness and sin and evil and debauchery and insanity governing them and being enforced by law. And you're like, we just wish we could all get along. We really, like, I mean, you want to go to work, you don't have conflict. But like I said in my neighborhood, we got this neighbor that's got this thing in his front yard with these colors, and we got this person with their, uh, you know, Biden's a bad guy flag, and they look at each other every day. And <laughs> I always walk by those two neighbors, I'm like, hey, they're, you know, <laughs> I said, they didn't, it's kind of like Christmas lights, if you don't take them, on and take them down by July, don't bother. Christmas is coming back, right? So the, the, these things have been there for three years, I'm like, hey, why take them down now? <laughs> it's all about to start up again, right? We want to get along with people. We truly do. But at what cost, right? Sooner or later, you have to take sides, not politically, but spiritually and morally. There just comes a point where you have to say, this is right and this is wrong. This is true, this is false, and because this is true, that means that this is right and that this is false and this is wrong. And as much as, you know, even like in social media, I just want to be positive about everything, there's just... There's, there's truth and falsehood, and there's right and wrong. And that's, that's never going to change. No matter how much the society shifts itself and goes off a cliff, truth is always going to be truth, and falsehood is always going to be falsehood. And I think the great mistake of Jehoshaphat here is he wants to get along so bad and have unity so bad that he really compromised the truth. He crossed a line he shouldn't have crossed. In pursuing unity with the northern tribes, he crossed a line he should have never crossed. And they're just, uh, it says in 2 Corinthians, what fellowship has Christ with demons? What fellowship has the Lord's Supper with the table of demons? And we don't always know clearly what those are, but the closer you get those two together, you'll see the distinction between the two. Light and darkness can never coexist at the same time. In the beginning, light and darkness. Genesis 1. Genesis, John 1 with Jesus. Light and darkness. Distinction. And the gospel record is the distinction of light and darkness, time and time again. Church history, we're light on a hill, the world's in darkness. So it's just a reminder, like, it's a good thing to want to, like, have peace and live peaceably as much as you can with all men and women. But Jehoshaphat's great mistake was he crossed the line for peace at the expense of compromise. See, there's good compromise and there's bad compromise. And who, how do we even know sometimes? That's why we need the wisdom of the Lord. But for sure, the narrative tells us, particularly in the next chapter, he, he crossed a line of compromise. Not intending to, but we see the mercy of the Lord delivering him from the battle. See, you can disguise yourself, but there's no random arrow from the Lord for judgment. Hey, you, can, you can hide yourself, but there's no random Syrian shooting an arrow that takes you down. When it's your time, it's your time. And it's judgment from the Lord, it's judgment from the Lord. And even so, the mercy of the Lord, you do all those good things. It's nice to know that grace of God does apply with the failures of God from the people of God. Failures before God of the people of God find the grace of God. So that is a beautiful thing about this chapter because it was a huge mistake, his compromise and cross that line, but nonetheless, when he cried out to the Lord, the Lord delivered him. If as a whole, your life is good decisions and good fruit, when you get in a bad situation in your own folly, the odds of deliverance are much better. 
If it's an aberration in your life, this kind of mistake, as opposed to a pattern in our life, this kind of mistake. Good quarterbacks, when they throw an interception, coaches generally forgive them. But you throw more interceptions and touchdowns over a couple of years, you're not playing ball for that team anymore. And with the Lord, we want to have a pattern of good things. And so when we make a big, because this is his blemish, right? David had his blemish. Everyone's got a blemish, you know. This is his blemish, except Jesus, of course. It's not that bad of a blemish, but he wanted peace. But it was a compromise where he crossed the line, and it was costly. But God bailed him out because grace, grace is not cheap grace, but it is, it is powerful grace, and it will bail you out, especially when you stumble into something. Verse chapter 19, then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned safely to his house in Jerusalem, and Jehu, the son of Hanai, the seer, went out to meet him. And he said to King Jehoshaphat, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? And therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Nevertheless, good things are found in you, and that you've removed the wooden images from the land and have prepared your heart to seek God. So he, see, here it is. This is the grace. It, you know, it's amazing grace. This is why we sing amazing grace, because this is amazing grace. His blemish was covered by grace, and God was good to him. God made sure there was a distinction in that battle between light and darkness and who's his and who's isn't. It wasn't about Ramoth Gilead. It was about worldviews and kings and how they are governed or not governed by the Lord and the choices they make and the destiny they built for themselves through faith and obedience or rebellion or unbelief and disobedience. One king took the vineyard of his neighbor and had him killed. The other king sent out 16 men to further the gospel of Jesus Christ in their generation. What a contrast. That person's going to find deliverance when he's crying out from his chariot after making a foolish decision. The other one, there's no random arrow from the Lord. There's no randomness, like I said earlier. But the key is that a good thing was found in him. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? You know, like the prophet comes and says, dude, what were you thinking? Literally, what were you thinking? The prophet comes and said, should you help the wicked, those, the wicked, should you help the wicked, and love those who hate the Lord. Wow. That was the line he crossed. That's the, that's the report. You know, the, the post-game report. That's the game film and sports. That's the, you know, that you're, this is it. That's the meeting on Monday after it all went down. The prophet walks in and says, all right, everyone attention. Okay, Jehoshaphat. King Jesus says one thing. Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Uh, It was a a big one. It's a whole chapter in the word of God twice. (laughs) But let's put it behind us. Nevertheless, we got to go. It's always forward with the Lord, right? Forward, onward, and upward. Forgetting those things are behind. We press on what lies ahead to the upward things. Upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Always forward, WG. Always forward, body of Christ. So nevertheless, I was like, oh, I don't even want to watch that game film. Like, you have to watch it. And now let's go forward from it. All right? Nevertheless, good is found in you. This is what you did right. This is like really good coaching from a prophet. Because this is what you did right. That's what good coaching is. You, don't, you always emphasize what's been done right. That's the mark of good coaching. You look for what's done right. It's the mark of good parenting. It's the mark, it's the mark of good employee, employer relationships. So look for what's good and emphasize that and then find ways to build up what can be better. Even for a king. 
You prepared your heart to seek God. This is the very thing Rehoboam didn't do, remember? He did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. This was the third point on the topical study a couple weeks ago with Rehoboam. He did, he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. So even in Jehoshaphat's failure and folly of like, help, on the chariot, he found deliverance. There's no random arrow that struck him. The Lord is a shield about those who love him. And God was his shield even in his folly. Good things are found in you. Oh, to have the Holy Spirit say that of you and me. Verse 4, we'll come back to that in a minute because it connects to the very last verse of this short chapter here that wraps up the night. So Jehoshaphat dwelt in Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the mountains of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers. Then he set judges in the land throughout all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, and he said to the judges, Take heed to what you are doing, for you do not judge for man but for the Lord who is with you in the judgment. Now therefore let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality, nor taking of bribes. Wow. Moreover, in Jerusalem, for the judgment of the Lord and for controversies, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites and priests and some of the chief fathers of Israel when they returned to Jerusalem. And he commanded them, saying, Thus you shall act in the fear of the Lord, faithfully and with a loyal heart. Whatever case comes to you from your brethren who dwell in their cities, whether of bloodshed or offenses against the law or commandment, against statutes or ordinances, you shall warn them, lest they trespass against the Lord and wrath come upon you and your brethren. Do this, and you will not be guilty. And take notice, Amariah, the chief priest, is over you in all matters of the Lord, and Zebediah, the son of Ishmael, the ruler of the house of Judah, for all the king's matters. Also, the Levites will be officials before you. Behave courageously, and the Lord will be with you good, with the good. And the Lord will be with the good. Again, it's another, another, like, apart from the reproof right away, it's a really good chapter. Like, Jehoshaphat's a pleasant read. It's not frustrating. Because it's not like you cry for Ahab and what he got in the previous chapter. Like, oh, that guy had it coming. And you know, Jehoshaphat got delivered. Like, this is three chapters that's very pleasant to read and think about and teach. It says that good things were found in him by the Lord. And then the last thing he says here is behave courageously and the Lord will be with the good. God will honor the good. God will be with the good. And how about this statement? Like, there's no partiality or taking of bribes. Can you imagine any human government on any level, local, or national without the taking of bribes and the use of bribes? It's, it's like a millennial reign of Christ when you think about that. When there's no injustice in government but perfect justice. There's no FBI spying on these people, no this, that, and everything else, and all these things that are blemishes in our country's history's past that are an embarrassment to us as citizens. And all the violations of politicians against justice and integrity for the common good of the people. I just tell people, there's nothing I really want to know. Like when you're young, like, I want to know and take them on. Now I'm 60, I'm like, I don't want to know. I really don't want to know. God will deal with them like he dealt with Ahab. The dogs will lick the blood of their chariot at the showers of the harlots. These people that get away, seem to get away with everything. They're so evil. 
what they do, human trafficking, all this kind of stuff, the cover-up, the pedophilia, all this stuff, the bribing with other countries and all these things that they do. They think they get away with it. No one's getting away with anything. Plus, life is short anyways. You never know. You might end up with Asa with bad feet and you blame everybody and you don't turn to the Lord. No one gets away with anything. God is with those who do good because God is good all the time. And he honors good all the time. So anyone that ever says it's the right time to do the right thing, that is correct. And the more that we sow to what is good before the Lord in his character, the more it's going to come back to us. And the more we're going to spread that goodness to other people. And we want the legacy of our life that people could get up at our memorial on an open mic and say, she was a good woman. She was a godly woman. I mean, you can't buy that. And people know whether it's true or not. Most importantly, in the day of the Lord, we can stand before the Lord and have the books or the testimony, whatever is there to reveal our life, to say that you are a good woman. You're, the vast majority of your life was good decisions that honor the Lord, the fear of the Lord, that you are a good man. The vast majority of your life feared the Lord and honor the Lord. W.G. Body Christ. It's always good to be good. So seek the good, be the good, do the good. Yes and amen.